Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder. If this is your first time listening, this is the podcast where I speak to bands about the jobs they've done throughout their years touring and writing and recording records. Tends to go off topic occasionally, well, every time, and I'm just so glad to do it. So thank you for listening. I've got Izzy B. Phillips from Brighton Band Black Honey with me now. She tells me about working at TGI Fridays where she was serving on roller skates. Love that. Working in Beyond Retro in Brighton and a lot of what she does now, including modeling, designing merch, directing music videos. And, you know, she basically just does a whole lot of creative stuff. Black Honey are getting ready to release their new record, Written and Directed. Next year, they just released their new single, I Like The Way You Die. Real Tarantino vibes. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, let your friends know. Please share it around. I was thinking about getting a Patreon. I'm not sure we're there yet. So if you're up for just letting your friends know about this, that would be amazing. You're the only thing that gives this show legs. So thank you for listening. East London Signature Brew have been brewing music-inspired beers since 2011. They've made collaboration beers with Slaves and Mastodon and Idols, recently sports team. And if you go onto their website, signaturebrew.co.uk, you can get all orders delivered to you over lockdown there with 10% off using the voucher code 101podcast, all capitals. All right, thank you for listening. Here's Izzy B. Phillips from Black Honey. Enjoy. So I started this podcast because I realized that everyone's got a good story from jobs they were working in between tours. And, the, you know, the reality of being an artist, the paying the rent, the phone bills coming through, that kind of thing. And I mean, you've been in a band for quite a few years now. You know, when you speak to friends or family who you don't always speak to about band stuff, how do you tend to explain that side of it? To be honest with you, like, I don't really explain it now. I think there's definitely an era of everyone's lives when they're like 18 and they're having to sort of validate their life choices about what they want to study and stuff. I think I definitely had it then, but now it's much more like my family and the people around me kind of just know. They, to be honest with you, they watched what happens on the internet and they they, they get the updates <laughs> through the sort of social media side of things. And then for me, I'm like, oh, great, that gets me off the hook. I'm going to have to talk about it for like <laughs> two years now. Does that have the effect of helping you take it more seriously as well? Maybe. I like to separate, I think, my private life a bit with like what I'm doing in the real world. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that changes how I take it. Because I guess that, I mean, the particular time of, of, of an artist that I find quite interesting to try and dig into is those first few years when you're trying to figure out what you're doing. And, and I think a big part of that is is your identity of it. No, I think so. I think like I felt very much like I was told like not to do music and that I wasn't good enough um, and by so many people. And I think when people say no to you, it makes you more determined. Mm. But I think it definitely leaves you with maybe slightly not confidence and you have the sort of permanent sense of imposter syndrome going on through everything. Yeah. I wonder if like, if that hadn't have happened, would I have gone in with so much vigor as well? That's the other thing. Yeah, because it does add that element to rock and roll. You know, the feeling of rock and roll, that feeling of of abandon in, in this kind of wonderful, joyous sense. You know, could you be so angry if there wasn't something to be angry about? Mm, I think as well, it's like 
the thing I find super weird is at the moment, the more I learn about being a woman in the world, the more angry I am about being a woman. <laughs> yeah, I, no surprise. It's that the whole thing of like what you don't know doesn't harm you. So as soon as I started learning about feminism and stuff, I was like, oh yeah, I think I recognize this. And now I see it. I cannot unsee it. And with racism, it's like that awakening to like how brutal it is and how real everything is out there. I feel like a layer of my skin's just been taken off and I'm like, oh my God, the outside world is just like too much. I don't know if this is coming from the kind of, I assume we're of the sort of similar generation. I'm, I'm 29. So I wonder if we're having experiences like that because of the internet, this kind of everyday encyclopedia that our parents' generations and generations before them didn't have. This idea of what you said there about learning things, discovering things that rile you up, that make you believe in something, that make you feel a certain way. I wonder if you know that's like a new thing in the world that everyone's learning about something new every day. I was thinking about that today quite a lot, actually. Like, imagine if they had a school curriculum that taught you like personhood and it would be like teaching a kid who is equal and why they're equal and how by the history of society they haven't been deemed equal so I don't know about you but I was just taught this complete lie of like everyone's equal and uh yeah there were some problems ages ago but that's all done with and yeah moving on and now it's like we were absolutely sold down the river like <laughs> yeah like they th- I had spent so much time learning about like King Henry the Eighth and all these boring pointless people in history I'm sure they're not that pointless but to me they were was like our immediate history seemed to have been like somehow erased and all of the things that affect the culture that we live in now that we're only just uncovering I feel like as the youngest in my family I probably questioned more things than the others perhaps really Because you'd see, I don't know, I'd see my brother and sister, you know, sorry if they're listening to this, but I'd see them make mistakes Mm. or I'd see them like follow, you know, our dad's plan. And I'd be like, because I had that privilege of a distance, I could see like, nah, that's total bullshit. I'm not going to do that. And I wonder if that has a similar kind of, you know, gave me that perspective of being like, nah, definitely not. I I don't believe it. My favourite debates are always the debates between sort of Gen Z millennials and boomers because we're like you guys told us that if we went to uni we could like have a house have afford kids yeah look at us on universal credit now it's like you guys smashed it because they just designed a situation where everyone can comfortably retire but all the young people are absolutely fucked and gonna be working till they're 80 to live till they're 120 and be addicted to social media well something's gotta give i don't believe i mean i like to think that i won't be working all my life i'm gonna make it my aim to not I like so want to work all my life. I think I'll be that granny that's like, I've got a painting studio at the end of my garden where I'll wear my pearls and I'll like smoke and drink every day. It'll be amazing. Well, that's the dream. <laughs> <laughs> so 101 part-time jobs, you know, it's the podcast about the, the different jobs that the artists have had between tours. What was your first job? Technically, my first job was a telemarketing salesman for Zenith Bowater. Shout out guys at Zenith if you're there, if you're listening. <laughs> um, I did that for like two weeks. To save up extra cash, spending cash for Reading and Leeds when I was 15. Also, I I loved that because I think that was the first time I had a seriously rude awakening about how much harder shit work is than school. I was like, oh, it's Mm. just like going to be going to school. And I was like, oh, my God, it's like being in the same lesson. That's the worst lesson for (laughs) nine hours. 
And it's relentless as well, telemarketing, isn't it? Yeah, I couldn't do it. So my, but I only did it for two weeks, so I don't really count that as my first real job. But my first real job was very me. When I was 17, I became a waitress at TGI Fridays. Fucking love TGI Fridays. Mate, it's such a bomb. Like, I loved it. It was so good. Like, they used to let me wear roller skates. <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> On, like, special occasions. Not all the time. And uh, this is, like, before the rules came in, I guess, about, like, health and safety. And we used to do, like, loads of fun things. We used to, like, give each other piggybacks down the sort of runway with the with the plates. And then the person on the back would be holding loads of plates and the person on the front would be carrying the other, other person. That was real fun. That would be such a joy. I would love to be served something like that. Did you ever go roller skating as a kid in the big roller rinks? Did you have one near you? We did, but I... I don't really have any memories of doing it. I remember going to one roller disco and just falling over all the time and being like, oh, this isn't for me. Yeah. (laughs) But I was an ice skater. I like loved it going really, really fast, like just racing all my friends. It was so fun. That was like a pretty classic weekend thing for you to do as a kid. Yeah, there's this like Guildford Spectrum one where every birthday party for like three years, I'd spend playing Laser Quest. You do like Laser Quest and an ice skating. And if it was a really good birthday party, you do laser quest ice skating and then swimming oh cool and then you can have burger king at the end and that was just like great i'm i'm so happy were you showing people up on the ice i I like to think i was but maybe i was just like that kid that thought that they were just a sick (laughs) ice skater and was probably just like really average we had one that they used to play that chew it song you know i like to move it move it Mm. and they'd bring up a big ramp and then just put loads of like crash mats next to it so you just just get people flinging themselves off this thing I remember thinking that's so fucking cool. I was always like a little bit scared to do that sort of stuff. Did you get into skateboarding or anything like that? I did skating for a hot minute um, and I absolutely loved it. I Because I, I learned to snowboard when I was 11. That's cool. So I was like really good at snowboarding. And because of that, I thought I'd be like amazing at skating. But turns out skating is completely different. Yeah. I just, I, I still can't quite get my head around the not being tied to the board thing, which is so funny because when you speak to skaters, <laughs> they say, I can't believe you're tied to the board. This is crazy. Yeah, I tried, I skated so much when I was a kid. It was like my sort of main thing that I was interested in. And I tried wakeboarding just a few years ago. And I just couldn't get up. It was impossible wakeboarding. It's so hard getting up. But once you're up on a wakeboard and you've got that thing down, it's it's like you're solid. It looks fucking cool. Yeah. Wait, so were you playing in bands as a as a young teenager? Not really. Like I think I had like a band with like two of my mates from my like school, but we used to just play in her like garage. But we didn't play any gigs or anything. We yeah. just sort of I don't know, we were trying to write songs, I guess. I just remember it being a very loose, like, jam session thing. Yeah, I remember similar things. And look back, and it's, it kind of makes me cringe up a little bit. Not cringe, but, like, I can just imagine how badly I was playing, <laughs> you know? But everyone does that. Yeah, and also it was like, I don't know if you can call it a band when it was just, like, three kids. Maybe it happened on about five occasions max. We had a name, though. I remember we called ourselves Beyond Therapy. <laughs> That's fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, we were such cool kids. There's like proper like freaks language. <laughs> well, do you remember the time that, you know, the moment when you thought, fuck yeah, I can, I can start trying this. I just remember the bit where you start doing gigs and try and book gigs is so hard. Mm. And I remember emailing like hundreds of promoters and just like no one, no one would reply. It's brutal. It's so brutal. And just the point by which like small bands go from playing pubs to getting an agent and actually playing actual gigs with people 
it's a, such a huge jump. Your whole world kind of changes once you get past that point. And I think, God, I wouldn't want to be going back to square one now and launch it all. God, it'd be so hard. But it happens so quick, doesn't it? Because when you meet an agent and you shake their hand or do whatever deal you're doing, that's like a, a very quick moment, isn't it? Yeah, it changes the game, definitely. I mean, there's always like a tipping point a bit before then. You sort of get a feel like, I think maybe two or three gigs before that happened, we maybe had a crowd at a gig. And that was huge where like more than 20 people came to a show. You know, you're doing something right. In Brighton. Yeah. But that that first bit is so hard. Like your first thousand followers, they say on like social media as a band is the hardest thousand you'll ever do. Yeah. And I guess that that whole time you're going to be questioning yourself as well. Like, you know, does this, how does this look from the outside? Being a good live band is just hard. You never know what it's like. I literally went down a YouTube hole the other day which I don't recommend and I know why everyone doesn't do it because I was like, oh my God, every song I am completely out of tune. I literally was like, I thought I was singing there. I'm not, like, this is awful. But, you know, it's always the ones, the 5am radio sessions where you feel like you can't sing that that get recorded and streamed live and everyone's watched, you know? Did you have a time when you spoke to the other members and you were like, okay, look, let's start rehearsing four times a week? We did that from day dot. I needed it. Really? Yeah. Way before like anyone gave a shit, we were rehearsing so, so much, probably four, three times a week. And we did that for way longer than like what any band should have done. <laughs> how, how long were you doing that for? <laughs> Maybe five years before anyone cared. Like no genuinely. <laughs> five years is a long fucking time. Yeah. Like I'd have every argument with this band before anything happened, which was a huge relief when we went on tour and we started going properly. It felt a lot easier to get our heads around how to live in a van together because we just knew each other really well by the time that had happened. It just felt like a bit of a gift. The thing that felt like the biggest curse all of a sudden felt like a huge gift, like all the bands that get together and just get big really quick. Imagine having all those teething problems when you're like two weeks in to being in a band. I would hate it. That comes up on this show so much. Does it? My favourite people to interview are people who've been doing it so long. Like I interviewed the singer of Future Islands and they did it for, you know, years, so many years before the 4AD thing happened. And I guess every show gets bigger in, in a small way, but from the outset, from a fan's point of view, if you've just got into that band that's been going for however many years, there's so much history there. But what Sam was saying was that you needed those years to figure out who you were. Yeah. Oh my God. If you ask someone at the time, they're like, for fuck's sake, man, this is so like long and slow. And like, why does no one care? Like, I'm pretty sure that what I've made is worth watching. And you go from that feeling to suddenly people caring and you're like, oh my God, thank God we had all that time. The time that you have is so valuable and so important. When you're in it, it's just annoying and frustrating. You think you've got it down, but you probably haven't. Like, there's probably a reason why no one's, like, turning their heads yet. Is that, you know, from day one when you started practicing a lot, did you have to justify the fact you were doing it? Or is it something that you just kind of felt inside that you needed to do? I needed it, for sure. Like, I'm the sort of person that just needs a lot of rehearsals. I think because I, I get so nervous on stage and stuff, the separation between being recording a song to performing a song is so different there's just so many things that can go wrong mm. and you just want to eliminate those as much as possible like you want to give yourself the justice that you deserve as a person you know so like do the rehearsals like don't let yourself slip i saw someone tweet the other day that you might buy a record and you think there's 
you know, you know how much has gone into it because you feel that in the songs or the production and everything. Mm. But you never know actually how much went in from those people's personal lives, how much effort, the struggle and the good time. But do you want to know? Like, it's just like you wouldn't want to fucking buy it like or listen to it. If people knew how much money and like draining time, because it's for me, it's never the art that's the hard bit. It's all of the in-between bullshit. It's all of the like driving for an hour getting the train to get the bus with your gear to go and collect some stuff to go to rehearsals to go and find out everything's broken then taking it to get repaired then going to like you know a a shoot but you like don't know what to wear so then you've got to plan an outfit and then you've got to fuck about with like getting some photos developed and then you then you're there suddenly designing your artwork being like how is this how and then still i still can't get this right like and it's just so many things that just so draining about it how do you stay on top of that i fucking don't to be honest with you like i work myself into the ground to the point where like i've absolutely jeopardized like my own mental health and sanity and i'm only just learning now like through the pandemic and everything like oh right the like crazy like insane work ethic thing is cool because it gets you x far but it takes its toll on your body and i'm sick now like i've got an autoimmune disease i'm better i'm getting better from it like it's coming round like i'm on the, i'm on the good side of it now but good, good to hear that all of that happens cuz i just work myself too hard and it's like just fucking stop for 5 minutes you don't have to do this like i wish someone had just like shook me and been like you don't have to do it this hard you don't have to go this hard all the time there really is no infrastructure for it to do it healthily is there I don't know, like the touring wise, like our agents always did a whole system for us that was like three days on, one day off or something, which was like solid, like that was so good. But now it's like you've got to run your own label, not get paid, do all of this other shit, have a multimedia Instagram franchise that's like all of this stuff is unending and just relentless for people that I think that's why it does, people do just either quit or like have massive fights or lawsuits or can't hack it. Or you just become one of those artists that like don't do anything and just put a song out and let that just fucking permeate. And I have so much respect for those artists because I can't do that. I have to give it my all. I never thought I'd be saying like, I respect people who don't give a shit, but I totally do. I, I wish I give less shits, you know? What, what you say there about, about the health aspect of, I mean, not even touring, like you said, it's almost everything else. There's a few things kind of start up in charities and charities and different ideas like that that aim to support musicians, especially young musicians where, you know, as a young artist, it's a cliche because it's true, right? Starving artists and because you just don't make money for the longest time. And I just wondered, do you have any opinions? Do you have any ideas? for how that can be combated. We just need to change the like global narrative of what a person in music is. I think media's done a really sick job of being like, yo, if someone's in a band, they're famous and rich and you basically like the only value of art is if they're famous and rich. You know, I think there's just like, you know, the 90s, massive record deals, like champagne. When has that been? That's been dead for so long. Like Mm. that lifestyle thing and the actual like, ordinariness of it now i think it's less glamorous and it's less of a dream but the pleasure never is from all of that stuff anyway like being rich is never the goal the goal is to have your space to express yourself which you can totally have now but you have to do your side hustle you have to have a job imagine if you went to the olden days now and you were like yo Jimi hendrix did you know in the future there's going to be this platform which doesn't pay any musician ever 
or it pays them, but it pays them for not point not one p per stream. Mm. They'd be like, "What the fuck?" Like they'd be like, "I wouldn't fucking do it." Like who would who would volunteer yeah. themselves for that? It seems to me, and I'm think actually thinking of the little peep. I, I you know hope I don't have to justify whether I'm a fan or not. But I was watching that little peep documentary. I mean, it's tragic the whole story. Yeah, it's terrible. One of the things that I got so much positivity from is you know when he goes to visit that producer and him and his friend just kind of live with this guy mm. at the other end of the country and they just party for a few months. Seeing footage of those shows that they were playing, you cannot hide from that community aspect of it. The fact you've got, I don't know, anywhere between 20 to 100 people in a room all going nuts for something they love. And I know that's what we call a gig, right? But that community aspect of it, that's the thrill. Mm. I think it's so magic, isn't it? When there's like these crazy little bubbles, it's like a little bubbling up of culture that like is just exploding somewhere from some amazing people. And the way that music and people in music can just create these kind of earthquakes and these things that just affect people is just magic. It's the most human connection that you will ever experience. And it's, it's so much more valid in terms of the bullshit that we're living through now. We need it more than ever. Yeah. Which is cool because musicians are all going to have to quit and retrain as doctors. Well, what are you doing for work right now? I did a singing gig for a film two weeks ago. I've just, I'm just about to get booked to direct a video for another artist, but I can't name them yet because it's not confirmed. Before that, I did a podcast jingle. Yeah, a bit modeling, all kind of creative shit. Before that, I was on the self-employment grant. Are you, are you registered as a, as a company then? I'm not the tax man. <laughs> I'm self-employed creative director. That's my side hustle. So I direct videos for other artists. I like build their merch. I probably shouldn't say this because it's like not confirmed, but I did some creative direction for Dead Mouse, his merch line Amazing. the other day. Just shit like that. I just do very like low-key in the background, helping other people like build what they want to build. And being the front of Black Honey, that's going to help that side of your business, isn't it? Yeah, like people just come to me and they're like, you're creative, you know what you're doing, can you help with this? And I'm like, yeah, sure. It's not like I like made a website and was like, book me as E.B. Phillips, the creative director. Before I directed my first video, I had never directed anything in my life. And they were like, can you can you direct? I was like, uh, yeah, I'll give it a go. Like a week before that, I was assistant directing, which is way different from directing. It's very technical and you have to run around with walkie talkies and stuff. And I was like, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing, but my mate's paying me for this. So fuck it. Have you got a, a say yes to everything concept or, you know, you just up for learning new things? I guess I'm doing the band thing and that just like lives in its own little world. If someone wants to like pay me to do stuff, I'll do it. Like that's kind of how I, how I'm, how I'm floating now. Not that that's going to last for long. Is there any particular one thing that you can really see yourself doing? Well, I used to be, my favorite, more constant job that I did was for like two or three years. I was the creative director for Flying Vinyl. No way. Cool. Yeah. It's so funny because everyone's like, do you know about Flying Vinyl? I'm like, hun, I literally made every <laughs> single one of those boxes. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. So yeah. what would that entail? So like my boss is called Craig Evans and he hired me to help him build like the brand. And it started off with just like getting loads of bands at festivals, like my mate's bands, to have a photo with the boxes and to press their records in the in the club. And then just some artistic direction in terms of like we made the website a bit cooler and we just made the Instagram cool. And then, yeah, it was great. It just flew from there, really. It does seem like the business models, the business model of starting your own business now it's 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 a fucking minefield, isn't it? 
I mean, we've actually just said that. I've just remembered what we've been doing. You know, you like, I do so many things, like, I like, forget what I'm doing. Yeah. But we just started a um, our own production company where... Producing records? No, producing videos or, like, creative shit. So, basically, I'm, like, a creative director in my own production company that we've made with fellow directors, creatives. Like, I've cool. got, like, a couple of managers that do all of the, like, business stuff. One well, my best mate, another Craig, who does fashion stuff who I like assist with sometimes too and model for too. Don't they say, you know, you don't expect to make a turnover in the, in the first few years of, of your small business. I mean, that, I don't know about you, but that terrifies the fuck out of me and it's proving to be fairly correct. But if you're like starting a business, don't expect to be paid for ages. And if you're like starting a band, don't expect to be paid for like a decade to a lifetime. Mm. I'm, I'm with you just just be prepared to pay off your debt we're in so yeah. much debt and every time we do something it's like oh thank god we've scraped off the top of that debt <laughs> made the mistake of looking at my my student loan repayment the other day very very sad i literally like forgot about it for like five years and i was like whoa that's like a fairly hefty amount of interest yeah i kind of figured out now that i'm just never going to be rich enough to pay i'm only like 20 years off like never paying it back like if it just wiping itself this is it if we're skint for the next 25 years we're fine also i signed i signed up to the doll like it's called like universal credit now or something right so yeah yeah i signed up to that like two days ago (laughs) and the woman on the phone was like um and how much are you working i was like like all the time i'm working constantly She's mm. like, okay, yeah, what do you do? And she was like, right, so you realise that if this carries on the way it's going, you are going to have to look for another job. I was like, don't fucking make me get another job. Like, fuck off. I'm going to be, like, making great shit for people. Like, I'm not just, like, a junkie that's here, like, oh, yeah, give me some free money. Like, why was I made to feel so bad? Well, here's a tip. I'm on, un- on I'm on universal credit, and I'm on a small business thing, and it, it's called, it, it, it's under a section saying that um, I'm gainfully employed. And if you say that to them, then you just tell them how much you earn that month. I think I got quite lucky getting onto it. Oh, yeah, I think that's what I'm doing. And every month you have to tell them what you earn. Exactly, yeah. I think it works quite nicely for us. I say nicely, I'm, I'm fingers crossed it'll work nicely because you can put in your costs of everything. So say if you needed a bit of gear or a bit of software, you can put that against what you've quote unquote earned. Oh, no way. So you can still get paid despite that. Oh, that's good. Does that make I sense? I feel like all of my costs go against Black Honey as a business anyway. Like, this is why it's, like, really confusing because I'm, like, my business is Black Honey, but it doesn't pay me any money. But I charge all of that tax stuff to the Black Honey tax bill because that's, like, really big. And then for me, I'm, like, I don't even know how I how I qualify for being um, self-employed, to be honest with you. I just don't – I don't even think I have enough gigs in my b- belt to be it. Working as much as you do, it doesn't leave you for any time to get a bar job, does it? I would love to, like, get a Sunday job working at a garden centre for, like, four hours, but it would earn me, like, 30 quid to get there, and then I'll probably go to the pub afterwards. <laughs> I mean, it would just like, it'd be a waste of time. I'd probably get fired as well, you know? And what it does make me think of is, written and directed, everything about the aesthetic of it, the vibe of it, the feel of it, has this such an escapism element to it, you know, a cinematic thing. Does that help you work for, for, for your vision of the actual output of black honey i think i just so live for that world that i'm sort of more in that world than i'm not if you know what i mean two days ago i did a shoot a modeling kind of thing i got paid for that i just my mentally i've just deleted it because in my head i'm like thinking about like artwork and vinyl pressings and shit like that and it's just always going through your head from going to bed to waking up i think so yeah i do like some annoying stuff that's always annoyed exes where i kind of like scroll and make pinterest boards for like hours at night time really late and i'll like wake up and write in my journal and they're like you just never switch off but this year 
I have switched off. Like, but when I've switched off, I mean like I have like fully switched off. I didn't look at my phone for like two weeks solid. How did that feel? Fucking I feel like after this pandemic, I know with all respect that this has been like the worst fucking time for so many people. But I feel like I'm meeting myself for the first time. And I'm looking at this record that I've made. I'm like, what the fuck? What, what the what the hell has just happened the last five years? Like, I can't. It's such a whirlwind. You know that bit in the, in all of the cheesy kind of like rockumentary movies where it's like the fast paced lifestyle. And then it like cuts and they're like suddenly in rehab looking back on their life being like, I used to be this person. I feel like I'm like in that part of my life. Has that given you space to look at things objectively? Yeah, I can see like things about myself I like didn't know. I knew I was neurotic, but I didn't quite realize how all-consuming my neuroticism existed as. What's something that gets to you every day? A really good example is like this new like YouTube hole that I've gone down of like actually watching videos of myself singing live and being like, oh my god, now I'm like have to make something where I sing live but sing so well and make that the biggest piece of YouTube content. Like in my head, I'm like, oh, oh my God, like I have to correct this huge thing. And then the other side of my brain is just like, just shut the fuck up. Like it's, you're fucking human. It was 6 a.m. You're in Holland and hungover. You can sing that live all the time. People know you can sing that song. Stop being so harsh on yourself. There's like hundreds of videos of like Lana Del Rey singing completely out of tune. But everyone's, everyone's learning, right? No matter what you're doing, whether you're a singer or you're a golfer or you're playing cricket. I mean, you're, you're just learning, aren't you? Supposedly, but like as a musician, you're like on some kind of dartboard for other people, which is fine because I actually don't think anyone anywhere near been as critical of me as I've been of me. I haven't seen anything. Which is sick to be like, oh, right, okay this is all just my neuroses like this is literally almost like fictitious level this is controlling all of my actions and i don't need to do it just be confident that i'm a good songwriter and i can sing leave it at that you know and i suppose you have to have some kind of the fact that you have a team around you that's a vote of confidence yeah i feel like they would have told me like if i did a really shitty performance or whatever and they mm. always do they always do tell me but like in a kind way not in a like horrible mean way do you ever think it's funny that you've got a team working around you where they have full-time jobs working in in music to which black honey is part of yeah but i have like really weird conflicted feelings about that i'm just like why why do radio pluggers exist someone can give me a thousand pounds and i'll go and like send a song to hugh stevens i don't know i don't understand the this sort of old school business that people or teams la 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 that we have how tall is like a as a business model this would be viable I believe in blockchaining and like we talk about this all the time and my manager is absolutely obsessed with this. Imagine if you could blockchain the music industry. What's blockchaining? Sorry. So blockchaining is like this thing, like I don't fully understand it, but like to describe it in like my idiot artist terms, it's as if you delete every step of all middlemen in all payment systems. So I play a gig, I go on stage and the money from that gig is in my bank account. I like that. I like the sound of that. So you haven't got like... The money has to go to this person who takes a card, then it goes to this person, and then seven months later, PRS will send you a statement, and I'll have this mystery number of things where you don't know you don't know why you've got that money or who it's come from or if it even was from that gig. They do it in like banking, basically, in all of the big tech industries. Blockchaining is like the future of all financial progress, and um, fintech. Yeah, my manager's like, we're one hundred percent gonna like be a blockchaining service industry, but it's gonna take a lot of stubborn people a lot of wars before it happens i'm conflicted as well because there are so many nice people who have these jobs yeah like what we should do is just get all those people social media promo jobs and be like right everyone 
go and do this to send like DM five hundred of your mates this record. Do you, I mean, they'll be like different. Well, that's not a bad idea because you could give them that your job of posting from social media. Do you post from the account? How how do you work that out in Black Honey? Also, we've got a system which is called social mediation, which is like a long, a very long chain of conversations that goes from like me starting a post and I'll put it in social mediation, and then it's on WhatsApp and we all kind of like we'll check it proof it edit it and then i post it on instagram and then once that's gone out then tommy does facebook and dan manager does twitter and then alex drummer does snapchat and then chris does replies i do dm replies tommy does twitter replies and that's like kind of roughly the sketch (laughs) but obviously we dabble and that is that's a lot that's a lot of human time there's so much human time my screen time is like devastating when i realize how like i give like 18 hours of my life a week to just like fucking social media what was the last job you had before all of this took over i worked to be on metro i loved it i was the visual merchandiser nice so i used to like build all the mannequins and stuff and i i loved it but my boss was like you're always hungover like in the morning the band would like would play gig in Leeds and we would like drive overnight get stuck in traffic and then I'd get dropped off in the van at like 8 30 in the morning so I just at 8 30 in the morning I'd just roll into a coffee shop get a nice cheese sandwich and then like go to my go to my shop at a shift at like nine and then just they'd be like you fucking stink like you're hungover <laughs> You left some scissors on the table. And now you got to say something about Beyond Retro because that is Beyond Retro's vibe, isn't it? It is, but it's like, obviously it's run like a real business and there's like real things. I eventually got fired, semi-fired because like, I'm not, I'm not basically, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you that I got fired because like I said, I made a joke on Twitter once about getting fired from Beyond Retro and then Neda, who's a lovely person, is their press person and I love Beyond Retro and I still work with them all the time and do like promo shit for them. I I said, I made a joke on Twitter and she texted me being like, can you not tell people that we fired you i'm like why did you fire me then you let me get fired but then you don't let me tell anyone about it but i still love them like it's great like i always go shopping there they give me like press loans for all of my videos and they definitely like could have fired me like seven disciplinary warnings before they did it must have been nice to be in that culture because imagine working an office job eight hours a day five days a week you'd kind of be so out of the kind of culture, the way you feel comfortable. Well, that's why I really found myself, I think, because before then I was working in bars and cocktail bars and there was like, there was really cool people there, but not my people, my tribe. And as soon as I got into the vintage world, I was like, oh my God, like everyone's artists mm. and they're all like creatives. And some people were really good at carpentry. Some people were like DJs. Everyone was just my type of person. You thank your lucky stars when that happens, don't, don't you? Literally, it was a blessing. Like it was like a magical miracle that happened in my life. Because I remember my boyfriend at the time was like, you should work in Beyond Retro. That'd be really cool. And I was like, oh, I don't think I'm like cool enough to like do that. And I'm just so glad that he made me do that because... As soon as I got that job, everything changed. And then it was like, I part of my job was like researching historical culture and vintage fashion and dressing people and dressing customers. And like my band would come in and I would just be like, here you go, here's like 10 things I found for you. And they're letting us have soft discount and this is really sick. And then meeting other vintage stylists and my whole of Black Honey like exploded. I think that's how Black Honey, I made the Black Honey brand. All of the vintage narrative and the aesthetic came from this like, beautiful marriage of bands just kind of about to pop off and then exploring that I had this obsessive passion for for vintage culture especially in a world where if you don't live around something like that you know I've lived in places that didn't feel very rock and roll and I love feeling rock and roll you know yeah yeah and it's like 
I think a lot of the time it's like you see the sort of reflections of the people around you and I I still really struggle with meeting people and feeling finding myself just so endlessly disappointed by how shallow or mundane or moany they are and I'm, I'm still surrounded by so much of that bullshit. Got to hang out with some more Germans. Yeah, right. It's been a total pleasure hearing about how you do everything, how you conduct your work. Looking back on it, do you think, where did I learn all these skills? Yeah, people always come to me and they're like, how do you do songwriting and how do you, did you dress these people for these things and how are you painting? And, and I'm like, I, I don't know, but like, I feel really lucky and grateful. I guess like the best thing is when you're like in your 20s and be like, oh my God, I still haven't actually been forced into a desk job. And I remember being a kid and someone saying, your childhood years are the happiest years of your life. And I just remember thinking that I'm sat in a fucking science lab, like miserable, like in a uniform of people who like with a bunch of twats. And I just thought, if that's true, I'll kill myself. Like, I'll just do it. Like, what's the fucking point? The only reason why I'm going to do this GCSE shit is so I can get the fuck out of here and go and do my thing and find my world and be with my people and live my best life and my fantasy. And There's a lot to say for being excited about the future. I feel like now looking back, I think I was just like someone that just gave off such a big energy. And I think that that being people just want to take you down or they want to just deflate it or just that people want you to, people have bought into like the mundane narrative of like mm. you grow up and then you get a job in the city and then you get a wife and kids and you buy a really fucking expensive car that is the same thing as a cheap car but designer like yeah i find like everyone that bought into that narrative we're, we're just projecting some kind of hate for the fact that you you were smart enough to find a way out around it and every day i remember that every day i'm walking around i'm like i outsmarted all of you amen <laughs> amen i think it's definitely like the world of social media the best thing about it is like that shit sells the lifestyle and it sells the lifestyle to people who work five days a week who are desperately trying to reach a point where they have a lifestyle whereas like musicians do have a lifestyle which is good for them and like they Mm. they kind of have to choose that Mm. that that route because they're probably damaged and like really need the like psychological time of investigating their own minds born rock and roll yeah exactly so written and directed is coming out next january have you got a lot of things between now and then to hashtag content yeah the things you're working on and aesthetics and new ideas did you just say hashtag content yeah because i couldn't bring myself to say content without the hashtag <laughs> okay okay that's, i guess it's more forgiving but i was like <laughs> don't know if it made it worse or not um I don't, i'm not sorry so we've got our first uh sorry our next single for a song called i like the way you die it drops on halloween opening track of the record yeah opening track of the record drops on halloween and the video is basically like a bunch of vampires it's like a, a vampire coven it's a cool word that isn't it coven yeah coven so it sounds like a cave but an oveny like hot cave <laughs> can you make a cheese toast i think so <laughs> that drops on halloween and then basically we've got this video that we're sitting on which is like quite stressfully on the nose it's for a song called disinfect and the video is brutal it's world explosions and violence and murder and kids burning their schools down and shit like that and the song is also like that and the thing is is like it's really weird when you've made this record in we finished it last january so i wrote the song probably over a year ago and the lyrics are disinfect the disaffected like we are just a virus addicted to the violence disinfect the disaffected it felt like we almost put it out in like july 
when Trump was telling everyone to drink disinfectant, we were like, it would have landed in the middle of the George Floyd murder and the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And it was, you know, that like kind of three weeks where it was like, you cannot post about anything else. Like this is the only narrative that we need to be exploring right now. Mm. Yeah. At that point it would have landed in the middle of that. And we were like a week off it and we had to be like, no, this just feels fucking wrong. Like I just don't, I don't think that anyone's going to care about a bunch of white middle-class twats from the UK putting out a political commentary about the world right now. So I think we've held off on it. I don't know. We're kind of tempted by the idea of dropping that around the election, but we'll see like how many like horrendous, things happen outside of that that will dictate it because also the video incites a lot of violence and we've used a lot of footage from things that are difficult and i don't know Mm. i don't want to be insensitive but at the same time Mm. i kind of need to it's like the statement that i need to make is this shit is so fucked how much room do you give yourselves to kind of be able to be agile and be like yeah now's the time or no let's wait off you know, kind of everything balancing on how you're feeling about it, that gut instinct. It was really dictated as well. When you've got a song called I Like The Way You Die, we were like, okay, that one's off the cards for the first single then. And then Disinfect was like, it could really work. Like people might really attach themselves to it, but we decided to be, which is not really my game. It's like never play the safe game, but this shit is so much bigger than us right now. We're just a fucking Mm -hmm. band. You know I mean? People are dying. But I want to put it out because also it does feel like I've kind of got my, finger on it i think i've got my finger on the button a little bit and it feels explosive and then also we've got like another whole song and video that we shot like a year ago so we've changed the plan so many times depending on loads of stuff but we have to people ask people at the label also you have to submit songs like six weeks before you want to put it out you have to submit everything like the artwork the all of the shit like the still the screen freeze from the video has to be selected six weeks before it goes to the public Wow. Yes, yeah, really like boring. That whole thing is like, I just want to be a rapper and like write a song tomorrow, today and drop it out tomorrow, you know? For real, just do it. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, Izzy, it's been a total pleasure, like I said, to just to hear about the inner workings of Black Honey. That's the stuff that I find fascinating. Yeah, no worries, man. Like I'm definitely going to listen to like a bunch of your podcast episodes now. I think it'd be really interesting. All the stuff that people never talk about. Please go ahead. This is it. And I hope, I kind of think sometimes, am I going to get in trouble with my boss? And I realize I'm my boss. But then I also, <laughs> but then I also realized I don't get paid for it. <laughs> yeah. I literally have the same thing. Or like when you, when you can't be asked to do work that day, you're like, I'm just oh, letting myself my down now, aren't I? Like it's not really anyone to answer to. It's almost harder to do the self-disciplining in that respect. I get a nice like 4 p.m. lull. Do you ever forget that? Oh, I go for a nap around that time. Always. Yeah, that's that's such a vibe. But also the 4 p.m. lull is like a little bit of a magical songwriting sweet spot. Like it's the most boring part of the day. Sometimes mm. when you're writing, that's the when you're kind of semi falling asleep. That's when they are most sort of subconscious ideas can kind of come out. I, I'm a firm believer in when you're not concentrating so hard on something whilst you're also doing it simultaneously, then that's. That could be when the coolest stuff comes out because it's maybe pure is the wrong word, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? Oh, a hundred percent. I'm like the sort of person that would be doing their, like there was this really famous quote the other day that this like famous typographist from New York was like, you don't get your best ideas when you're sat at your desk. You get your best ideas when you put your lipstick on in the mirror. You know, it's like that idea of, the sort of letting your subconscious live separately from whatever you're like directly tackling yeah 
I, and yeah, I'll I like, like paint it. my nails or I'll like I like do my makeup while I'm writing lyrics. And the band always like you're so hyperactive and like distracted. And I'm like watering plants. And I'm like, what about this? I'm like half cooking dinner, being like, what do you think about this melody? And they'll be like, you're all over the shop. But it kind of like that way of working for me really works. And I and yeah. I can see why you get it too. Like I think it's very like there's some place where your subconscious can just be a bit more free if you're not just trying to like staple it to the wall. <laughs> turn the tap on don't you just yeah ed sheeran gave a really good quote about how you know if you turn the tap on enough shit will run out until it you know comes out crystal clean you know and i think about that a lot yeah but i bet ed sheeran like i bet even if like he wrote like i bet the first song that he writes that comes out is still good <laughs> like i would love i would love him to like watch the amount of shit that like <laughs> comes out of my mouth before it's like half good you know brilliant brilliant well izzy i'm so looking forward to hearing the record it's been great to great to hear all about it dude thank you so much for having me it's been really great to like actually chat i love like the long form style as well such a vibe so that was izzy b phillips right here only on 101 part-time jobs podcast go find it on instagram on twitter let's connect cheers go well here's cock sparrow i've been working all day for me mate on the side running around
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.